Welcome to another episode of The Truth of the Matter Is. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside with Jonathan. We are back for episode number 99. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing well on yourself. Not too bad, not too bad. It's, I'm a little happy about today. You want to know why? Why, Daniel? Actually, why? Why are you happy Actually, why today? Because <laughs> I'm directing today's episode, which will be something a little bit different than what we usually do. But, of course, I want to make sure that we do do the same routine as usual, and I will be thanking our consistent listeners. Of course, we hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Now, Jonathan, today is I wanted to review a movie, a gospel movie. Uh, it's a famous movie, famous Christian movie. As you all know, it's called The Passion of the Christ. If you guys haven't seen that movie, I do recommend that you check it out before beginning today's episode and then come back and tune in. Or, of course, maybe this episode may inspire you to go and watch the movie. And then, you know, you, know, you can add to the discussion on any of our social medias and then we'll always be able to tap back in with you. You can always email Jonathan also at speedit83 at gmail.com. He's always uh, answering anybody who emails him directly. So, like I said, today's episode is inspired by the movie. And it actually came from a situation that I had with one of my coworkers, right? As you guys know, last week was Easter. So Easter just passed and, you know, a very religious man that I, I work with. He's an older Italian guy. He was asking me about my faith. And he was asking me if I was a Christian. So, of course, I gave him the answer, which is, of course, an outstanding yes. Jonathan is also Christian as well. And one of the things that he ended up talking about was he was telling me about the passion of the Christ and how he hated the movie and started going off about the direction uh, the director by the name of Mel Gibson. He's also an actor. And one of the things that he said to me was that he considered the passion of the christ to be more of a horror movie than it was to be an actual movie about jesus so jonathan what what is your opinion of that do you consider the passion of the christ to be similar to a horror movie so interesting enough i think when we view a horror movie you view something that scares us that puts or instills fear in us and I think ultimately, most of us believe that horror movies aren't real. Unfortunately, to God-fearing believers, I think most of us would concede that the passing of the Christ actually happened. That he actually died for our sins. And therefore, to actually look at what transpired and happened to Christ it would almost be two things either the person is going to deny it or it's going to be unbearable right mm. so in the situation with what transpired for someone to really process what happened would then apply the pressure to how they see themselves and in fact if christ had done what he really did again this is for those who believe it then it caused you to embrace and accept what happened at the expense of benefiting you so i think what really happens in a situation like that is reflection occurs right and reflection is important and more importantly the reason why reflection happens is be then what starts to happen is that you start to see the world different your behavior and your processing, I believe, ultimately has to change. So, you know, I've gotten this sort of response from people. I wouldn't say it's a horror story, but I think they would pinpoint that they felt terrible watching it, right? I believe at the time, the movie itself was a lot more worse than what was put out. And therefore, people talked about how, you know, they left the movie theater. They couldn't watch it. And to see someone suffer before your own eyes 
at the expense of you, it questions whether or not you actually believe it. And I think with that happening, people have to go back to the drawing board and reevaluate how serious they're taking the sacrifice of Christ or how much they're ignoring the sacrifice for Christ. So, and I'm glad you put it that way because yeah. one of the discussions that me and him end up having was he was giving me his philosophy on how he believed the movies should be viewed. And he was saying he didn't see how it was inspiring people to the faith mm-hmm. of, of Christianity or just into the faith of believing in God or in the faith of Jesus Christ. He was saying that he believed if you want to showcase Jesus in a good way is to show the miracles and the blessings and the teachings that he performed. And as you know, there was many quotes um, that were taken from actual scripture in the movie. And one of them that I like to reference to was uh, John 10, verse 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I I thought it was an interesting verse, like to start this off with, or from taking from one of the quotes from the movie, because if you don't understand that Jesus viewed us as friends, he viewed his disciples as friends, and he looks at us as we are his children, and he is he is the way. Mm-hmm. And that is how he chose to define himself. He is the way. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, and, and the son of God. He's a teacher, and he believed in spreading that message, and he suffered for how he defined himself, right? Mm-hmm. So... One of the things that was mentioned just now was the brutality and understanding why the passion of Christ was depicted in this way. Was It was so that you could really understand the sacrifice, and I'm glad that you mentioned that earlier because I wanted you to expand on that more. Yeah. That so, some people take the sacrifice that Jesus and the suffering that he went through, he, they take it lightly. Why do you think that occurs? Yeah, so I'll elaborate a little bit more. I think... What tends to happen is when we look at love, we look at love in the most sweetest way. Mm-hmm. But sometimes love comes at the sacrifice of oneself to benefit the one who's to receive it. And, you know, there's a passage in First John, I believe it's chapter 3, chapter 4, where he says, well, there's two verses. Let me go to, I believe it's in the Gospel of John, when he says, there is no greater love than delay one's life for one's friends. And that's very significant because, you know, when it comes to punishment, right, people, you know, they, they, they quench because it's it's putting yourself or seeing someone put themselves through a situation of punishment that forces a person to then envision themselves in that moment. And, you know, when we look at that passage in First John, I believe it's chapter 3, you know, it says there's no greater love than to lay one's life for one's friends. And it also states that, you know, there's no greater love than to know about punishment that you're going to receive and allow your love for that person to overrule the punishment that you're going to accept or that you're going to deal with, right? We understand in the book of Isaiah, it says, by his stripes, we are healed, right? So it's more of the process that it that was transpiring that I think people don't understand, right? We go to Genesis, right? We learn that when Adam sinned, it came at the cost of allowing sin to enter, but then God taking an animal to kind of cover up the sin, which is why we learn throughout the Old Testament that the sacrificing of animals was for the purification of sins. But we have to Mm. understand that that's only temporarily. That's why Jesus ultimately had to become the sacrificial lamb because we know that, at least in the book of Hebrews, that animal blood is not enough to suffice for human sin, which is why the priests had to go and sacrifice 
different animals we learned this in the book of leviticus different animals had to be sacrificed for different kinds of sin so when jesus you know when it said that you prepare a body for me and this is in the book of hebrews it's a lot in depth there was the actual him actually coming in the form of a man was so that the sins can be forgiven at our course where there will be no more sacrificial animals on the behalf of human sin and what jesus mm. had to do he had to do it once and for all and that's how he becomes the priest so not only does he become the sacrificial lamb he becomes the high priest that continues to bat for us and we learn this again in the book of hebrews so if i wanted to be more specific what was the question again because i want to make sure I, I unpack this clearly so that people if they need to go back and dive a little deeper in their own personal time you said something like, i was trying to understand why do you think the brutality was depicted in such a harsh way in the movie well because i think we i think when we envision what happened to christ we don't look at it to the maximum possibility of how brutal you know crucifixions were in that time for the roman government and, and, and what they were doing right crucifixion is not something new it was a practice it was something that they did to punish people so jesus historically during that time was not the only person that experienced the crucifixion now he experienced the crucifixion at the expense to benefit humanity to whoever those that believe in him right but i think to get an ideal view of why that had to happen in the way that it had to happen we needed to see historically what transpired in those days where we weren't alive we weren't even thought of to years later right so we look at punishment now as getting a shot and knocking somebody out or we look at punishment now of just getting a shot to the brain and ending you back then the punishment was necessary for other reasons now you know the cia those sort of entities use punishment to pull out information but back then the punishment was not only to humiliate you but it also was to have you plead and it also was a tactic in slavery so you know in regards to blood being shed and christ taking on the sins of the world that's the sin for everybody the blood that was and shed. i wanted to i wanted mm -hmm. to add to that too because if you take a look at the the criminal the two criminals that were next to him mm -hmm. jesus had a way worse because one of the scenes that was really memorable to me was when the helper came yeah Simon. and yeah when simon came and he said you were told to punish this man, not beat him to death. So not only did he got beat to a point where, you know, pretty much into an inch of his life, he still had to carry the cross. And the whole time while he's carrying the cross, they're still beating him. Yeah. And then when you take a look at the two criminals that were up there next to him, you didn't see them drenched in cuts and, and bruises the way Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And remember, in the book of Isaiah, that was what was prophesied that had to happen. And remember, since mm -hmm. Christ was taking the sins on the world, you remember in, in the whipping scene, he was a strong man and he was prepared to do that. He was thinking of us in that moment, which is why he knew and he understood that what was going to happen to his body is, is it was going to get crushed. It was going to be destroyed. But he understood his mission and what he came to accomplish and ultimately i think when it came to any other forms of crucifixion it came at the cost of sin and we know that they were thieves right we also mm -hmm. know that the one who set free barabbas right he was a killer a murderer so we really understand in depth at least here you had a man who was innocent and and we know that the pharisees and sadducees in scripture didn't want any dealings with wanting the blood to be on their hands because of course they were trying to celebrate the passover right so con self-consciously why were we ourselves who had the ability to crucify christ do it instead they leaned on other entities or other rulings 
to try to take the blame, which is why we know Pilate washes his hands free. And even in that, the, the conversation between Jesus and Pilate was that Jesus let him know straight up boldly after all that was done to him prior to having to carry the cross all the way, and you know, to the Calvary. So he made a statement. He said, you have no power over me. Right. So how bold and how almost arrogant almost can you be or, you know, sure of yourself? Can you be to speak in such authority in a moment where people see you physically dismantled? Right. And yet Jesus still spoke boldly and confidently about who he was in himself and the power he willed to the point that Pilate tried to set him free, knowing and understanding that there was something about this man that he couldn't put his finger over. Even his own wife, who I believe was experiencing nightmares when it came to who Jesus was and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, we don't take a lot of these things in consideration and the brutality that took place during this period of time. But again, crucifixion is nothing new back then. And just to kind of list how this really took place, which was really interesting to me. Was in the beginning of the movie, he's first, he's dragged out in the middle of the night. And I can see where the aspect of why it was depicted as a horror film. Because it happens at night when it first starts, right? Yes. The, the scene comes in the way, it, even the, the beginning of it, it seems like something you would see out of like The Conjuring or an exorcism type movie. Where you see the moonlight, the forest, the trees. And then the brutality of it, how it was laid out was first he was beaten for no reason. And then after he was beaten, he was brung in front of a group of people that was supposed to be humiliation. He was mocked in front of not only his people, but also in front of his followers. And then he was beaten again. Then he was taken to people who were supposed to have more authority and mocked there. When he was questioned when it came to Pilate, that's another form of brutality as well because it's the the mental aspect of it. Like you're you're supposed to be a king, but they are trying to bring you to others that are supposed to have more authority and more power over you. And from there, then he's whipped. Well, he's beaten first again, this time with, um, I don't know what weapon that was, but it was like a stick of some kind. Beaten, then flogged, then after being flogged, dragged out. Then while he was trying to recover, they come and they place the thorn, uh, the crown of thorn on his head. So that's even more. Then it wasn't even just that they placed it on his head. They jammed it into his skull. And then after they jammed it into his skull, they... Take him back up with Pilate. He's humiliated yet again in front of his people. Then it gets even worse because after they humiliate him in front of his people, they set free of a murderer. They're given a choice and they choose a murderer over Jesus himself. So he's rejected. And then he's meant to carry the cross to the point where he couldn't even carry it anymore. And it was beating him while they was doing that. Then he had to get help. Then when the women, he got him beat in front of his mother. Like, it was, it, when you just look at how the brutality is listed out and, le- and laid out throughout the movie, which is, of course, from actual scripture, it it just depicts, like, the this wasn't just a, a one-day event either. This was, this was, this was like a huge trial because, yeah, yeah. this was hours. And it's, and it's even worse because when you, I even missed the two parts where he's brought to, um, to, to people, two people with common sense, right? With Pilate and, and Herod, mm-hmm. who's gonna look at him and they see nothing wrong, but he's still rejected because the intelligence and the good judgment of wise men it didn't overrule the wickedness that was in the heart of people. Mm. And even though being rejected by multiple times by the people you are essentially trying to save, Jesus still had the willingness to ask for mercy. Fortitude. So, yeah, the fortitude that you have to have, and I, I think that comes from one of the things I wanted to talk about was the power of faith. Yes. Having 
an absolute resolve to be committed to your faith and it being reinforced by understanding your purpose. So can you speak on that? Yeah, right. So in this regard, Jesus understood what his mission was understood what the father had asked him to do for the sake of humanity. He understood what needed to occur in order to bring humanity back to God because by the transgressions of the first Adam is what created the separation from humanity to God. So Jesus had to unite what was supposed to remain intact in order for the communication to flow back with God and man and ultimately seeing past what already transpired was the ultimate goal of God. But of course, in order to do that, he understood all the things that had to transpire leading up to it. And one of the things that it involved was believing and understanding that there was the first covenant and then there's the second covenant which ultimately unites man back with God so I would say at the course of going through all that and going through the process of all of that we have to understand it was for our benefit to show that what needed to be addressed and ultimately lead us down a path to flourish or at least us to be in a place where God's plan wouldn't just play out significantly much more in our, on our behalf, but to provide us a choice, it had to come down to us realizing that the heart needed to be conformed. It needed to change. It needed to be an assistance of God, right? And also what needed to be created as well is to understand that you can't do it yourself. So Christ taking the assistance from Simon and Christ not only being fully God, but being fully human showed us that in spite of all and all his strength, the assistance should still humble us and the need and the necessity redeem humanity still had to come at the cost of completing that mission. And I think a lot of us yeah. overlook why that had to happen and the steps that need to be taken. And some of us fail to realize that, yes, God being all-powerful, knowing and present everywhere could easily snap his fingers and things could be done. But on the behalf of understanding what love is, he did it to provide an example on how much he loved us. And I think that gets overlooked because... Love, for some of us, don't realize that it happens at a choice. You have to choose. You have to make a decision. And Christ deciding to do that willfully, right? He's the one that willfully decided to do that in honor to help us on the behalf of us is why that sacrifice is so significant. And that's all the more reason why we should place our faith in this son of man and this God, because I don't know how much more a person would have to do on our behalf to lead us to believe that it was for us. And ultimately we shouldn't take it for granted or we should accept it as what it is. So I like how you mentioned um, receiving help. Cause one of the things that I think continue to resolve is to refuel his resolve was you've seen it happen three times, which is also usually symbolic, um, symbolic, right? Mm-hmm. Pilot helped him as well as, well, it was a little bit more than three times when you really sit back and think about it. But Mary, um, his mother, yes. when he dropped the cross the first time, one, one of the reasons he was able to pick it up was because he, he saw her and he gave his shoot to one of the flashback scenes where he was seeing Mary uh, wipe his feet. And 
that allowed him to pick the cross back up and try to continue carrying it on his own. As well as when the woman came to wipe the sweat and the blood off his face. And also gave him the resolve to keep going on. And then the last time was when, um, I forget the name of the the innocent man who was helping him carry the cross. And Simon. ultimately stood up for him. Yeah, Simon. Ultimately stood up for him. He helped um he helped this resolve as well to get to the end to get to the Calvary to end up being put onto the cross. Yes. And, and don't forget John who was with who comforted a lot of people don't realize this, but I believe it was John, one of the disciples, who comforted Mary in the time and he kept looking at her and you know, and kept reiterating this is your son. Right? So mm -hmm. doing that and standing before them, knowing what he had to take you know, also inspired him and then him praying and to God and saying that he's ready, right? Which is mm -hmm. another element of the initial, you know, the initial recognition that I'm not just doing this for myself, but I'm doing this for all of those who haven't even been born yet, but he's thinking of me, right? So that inspiration goes back for generations. The option and just the acknowledgement of having the choice, and I think a lot of other pe people don't recognize that, that his death and what he took was for every person that is born today, whether they know it or not, is being provided the opportunity not just to reunite with the Father, but to have your sins forgiven on the account of his name, right? Like that is that's, that's extends generation for generation. So he had us all in mind before we even were thought of. He was thinking of us. You know? And that's the power of faith, right? Yes. To think about those that are going to come after you, those that have that are relying on you, mm -hmm. as well as your belief in God. Those are all power to, to your faith. Yes. And understanding your purpose, while that, while that gave him the initial uh, ability to commit, they're taking on the task of dying for our sins. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it was that the understanding can only take you but so far, but it was the people that he encountered that gave him the resolve mm -hmm. and, and then that people, allowed him to keep his commitment. Yeah, and some people don't realize that Caiaphas prophesied, who was one of the, the Jewish council, that a man would not just die, would not just die for... A Jewish nation, but for humanity at large, right? Which means that this was prophesied way before anything had transpired about what was gonna happen. So some people might say, "Oh, he just died." I believe the sign they put was Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's misunderstood. It's you know Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? They just put that up there because that's what they believed. But mm -hmm. Caiaphas prophesied and said, no, he won't just die for one nation, but for all nations. So, yeah. That's so what ultimately I that I was saying, Rome, let me just add this too. In Romans, it says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses out of their mouth is saved. Right. So all people are saved. On account of his name, which is why his name that God gave us is a high. His name is high above all names. Right. So these are things that were spoken mm -hmm. and talked about at, at nauseum. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 53 verse five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen. So uh, understanding that understanding that that is everything that he went through is why I felt the movie had to be depicted in such a brutal way. But ultimately, I wanted to, to talk about how these things transform to us or how it allows us to become better people because Jesus set the example here. And I think 
the movie did an excellent job of showing people how to stand on your own own ideals, you know? Yeah. Carrying your cross, to me, means to choose what you commit to and being comfortable with the suffering you will go through. Because suffering comes from the embodiment of your ideals, right? Yes. And your ideals come on how you choose to define yourself. Yes. Absolutely. James puts it this way. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations to know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let them ask God who gives generously without finding fault. And then, of course, I will have to mention Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5. Like rejoicing your suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us. So there's a significant understanding of why bearing suffering, which Christ alluded to, he says, he says that in this life, you will face tribulation, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. So, and then we exactly. can dive even deeper about the significance of suffering on account of his name, the importance of doing that and why you're doing that. Because that's something that we, as believers, understand that if it happened to him, he also said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So if we are following suits to be like Christ, which is what our aspirations are, then we have to understand that the world will hate you because, first of all, we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. But Christ made it clear in his prayer in the garden that I pray that you protect them. Don't take them out of the world, but protect them in the world. And that significance is of importance because we're representatives for Christ. And since we're representatives of Christ, we have to let Christ's love, truth, and light shine through us so that all the glory, honor, and praise goes back to God. So we're here for a reason. And most importantly, this is something that's going to happen in many different ways, not just in one aspect, but in many different ways. Ways. Yeah, amen to that. So that's what I mean by um, you carrying your cross. You have to choose what you commit to in your everyday life. You have to choose to have faith in God so that you can ultimately have a, a strong belief in yourself where you can't be broken and you can commit to things. And that understanding of your purpose, not into God, but choosing what you choose to suffer in, in this world, whether whatever goal you may be attempting to to complete, whatever you feel your mission is on this planet is, your resolve is going to come from your everyday life experiences while you're chasing those goals and you're attempting to do those things. So carry your cross with, with, uh, with full faith. Yes, if you don't mind, it's the passage I want to read. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And to say it better myself, that, that reinforces it totally of, of what I was thinking. 
So there was two. I have two questions for you, Josh. Okay. Because this is something that came up while I was watching, and I was thinking to myself, do you think Jesus felt humiliated? Of course, he felt humiliated. That was the whole point, right? The whole point was to have Jesus, who is a king, reevaluate his kingship in the midst of being on a planet where he doesn't belong, right? This is why Jesus says, I am not of this world. I am from above. You are from below, right? So, of course, coming here on the behalf of humanity, I think is important, right? So, in that process, Jesus knew who he was, and yet knowing who he was, he had to understand that part of doing what he had to do, I had to come at the expense of being humiliated amongst human, you know, human judgment. You know, that's something that I think he had to reconcile. He had to prepare himself for. And he had to come to the realization that this is something he had to do, right? Because when you're in a place of power and authority, I mean, think about it, right? People who are used to being celebrated and recognized as great people in the eyes of humanity hates when they are brought below the expectation of what they hope a lot of people saw of them. Just think about it. Think about how successful some people are. And the minute their name or their reputation is dirtied or trampled under, how fast and how soon they chase after to try to repair it, correct it, or even sue the person or people who are trying to jeopardize them, right? We did an episode about the importance of your name. And we know in the book of Peter, your name is worth more than gold. So you can imagine that part of Jesus's glory was also looked upon not by many as something that would be significant, right? Why do you think when they yelled Hosanna, Hosanna, they worship him and acknowledged him in one aspect prior to the occurrence of the Passover? And then the next thing you know, they when it came to deciding who was going to be crucified, they ridiculed him at, at that same moment. So Jesus went through a stage of up and downs of one providing, you know, purifications in terms of giving sight back to the blind, providing food, giving people hope to then doing all these things, you know, giving people an opportunity to have their fill to then being looked and cast down upon in a certain way. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were going to happen to him, knew he would have his highs and he would have his lows. And him being in, in, in a place of glory and honor at the right hand of the Father to come down and give all that up. Right? I believe it's in the the book of First, not First John, the Gospel of John, when he talks about giving up his glory that he once had with the Father. Right. right? And if you want, we can go to that because it's so significant in regards to who he was and what he became for our expense. So if I go to the Gospel of John here, when Jesus, let's start at verse one. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him and this is the eternal life that they know you the only true god in jesus christ whom you have sent i glorify you on earth having accomplished the works that you gave me to do now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that i had with you before the world existed right so the passage in proverbs chapter 8 that speaks about christ being with the father since the very beginning 
which means throughout the Old Testament, you would know that Christ made appearances in different times and periods before this, before he actually came as a child, as Jesus Christ. And the whole point is, is since Jesus had always existed, that would mean that Jesus was not created. Yes, he came through a child as Emmanuel, which is with God with us, through Mary, a virgin, and that's about as pure as it gets. But Jesus was always present. Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created like any one of us. He always existed. And therefore, when he came the way he did, and he grew and matured like we do, that's the example he set for us. However, there was a, a certain amount of glory he gave up to be human to redeem us, and he had to do it in that particular fashion. So that's pretty much what I wanted to point out, that that was the plan by God to do. And he came off from his throne to come and do that. Significance and importance there, point that out. Well, one of the things I was thinking about, right? Yes. Is the funny thing about humiliation is it usually comes from when you have a certain level of importance or self-importance that you place on something or you're in front of a group of people and then they make you question yourself. Right? Yes. So, one of the things I thought about when I was watching that was I don't think Jesus ever felt humiliated in any of these situations. And the reason for that was it seemed like his his understanding of what he was here to do would never allow him to have a certain level of, of pride. Hmm. So I didn't think he ever felt humiliated even though they were attempting to do that to him. It was so evident for for him to know who he was and have absolute faith and belief in that that this didn't matter. That's what he said. I'm not the kingdom I'm not the king of a kingdom you can see, but I'm a king regardless to how you view or how you see it. Well, if you don't mind, we know in Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen, he speaks about having every emotion that we've ever had and understanding it, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I point that out, because in the midst of that, in order for us to resonate with him, he would have to be humiliated and know the feelings of being humiliated. If we go to the conversation that Jesus has with God on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's the first instance in time where it appears Possibly that God potentially turned his back on him in that moment of carrying on the sins of the world, right? Some people believe that God did that because he couldn't look at sin, right? There's different, you know, theological assumptions made about it, right? But we can speculate, and I think speculation is fine because there are, I believe, different points of views, and people usually side with more theological agreements or theologians who agree one accord on a specific thing but that is an instance in which the crying out was a sign of feeling neglected even though he made it clear to his disciples that you know like sheep you will scatter but the father will be with me always there is a reason to pause when he was on the cross. And some no. believe... On the cross, I can agree with like that. That's what he I felt. I meant he and with the people. Oh, with the people, I meant yeah. in the crowd. Okay. Yes, gotcha. I don't think he ever mm -hmm. felt that humility. Oh, no, no. I think what he did is he definitely, in those moments, called out the Pharisees and, and Sadducees and the, their hypocrisy, right? I felt, mm -hmm. he, and more times than none, not only did he call out them and their behavior but he made them look foolish right to the degree that that's all the reason why they want to kill him they want to kill him because of jealousy 
and they wanted to kill him because some of the things he was doing was calling out their tradition and their practices at the expense of sadness and neglect from the people, right? How can you see people's, you know, uh, people in, in anguish and not lift the finger of assistance? That was the hypocrisy and the tradition and practices of what they did. And that's why Jesus said, and he made it clear that those who seek acknowledgement and glory, they've received their blessing in full, right? And the reason why he said that is because he just talked about the significance of not seeking praise like they did. They blow the trumpets to acknowledge the good that they do. Meanwhile, the good that you do is not letting your right hand know what your left hand does. It's not seeking the automatic acknowledgement from everyone. Because then that means are you doing it truly to be of assistance or are you doing it so that people can acknowledge you for what you've done? And if that's the case, then, yeah, you are receiving your your blessing in full by letting everybody know what you're doing and how good it is. Right. That's self-elevation. Right. right? So, yeah, think about it that way. Which kind of brings me to the last one of the last scenes in the movie, which was my personal favorite, is when the thief acknowledged that he deserved to be up on the cross and all he asked for was was for forgiveness. And Jesus said, you know, you will join me in in heaven. Yes. So the mercy he showed and then he talked about how the fact he was so moved by Jesus still asking for mercy for the people for, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Uh, I just want you to define mercy and speak on it, of course. Yeah, mercy is something that is provided even though you don't deserve it. That's why they call it grace and mercy. It's to have the power to show a responsive heart to someone that needs it even though they were in the wrong. So that grace and mercy that we receive from God is very significant because it's admitting and submitting that you're wrong. And I think a lot of times when it comes to doing that, we sort of forget the mercy that God has over us individually. Instead, we tend to focus on how we were wrong in that moment and we don't tend to take the heart and mindset of Christ, right? And that's what makes Christ unique, right? And I think some of us have to grow to a point to want to be merciful, even in times where you feel like the person doesn't deserve the mercy, right? Forgive some forgiveness. We've done a series on that, the importance of forgiveness. And something the forgiveness is done to help you. When in reality, the forgiveness should be done because if you're faults and wrongs were put up there for you know exposure then you will be expecting and wanting forgiveness or or we, we go to the passage in the gospels where in one instance someone's debt was reconsidered and then you being provided with the same opportunity you don't then i would force the person who hears of this inability to shed mercy when you would just provided mercy would then make you a hypocrite so i think that's 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 very important and if you don't if, if you don't mind i think it's important that we we kind of touch a little bit on the cross and, and the significance of that you know this and we're going to do a series on this at some point but there was something i always felt that when it comes to what christ did is he understood and he also provided the thief with an understanding. The thief understood that he was an innocent man, that the man had done nothing wrong, and yet he hangs before us and with us at this moment. You had one thief who challenged Jesus at the time to use his power to free himself and them. And you had another thief who acknowledged that he was not only a sinner, but that to think of him, right? And in that moment, I would say this is the time and period where we have to realize that Christ can save us in three ways. The first way is personal at your own will. Right. You come to God on your own accord. 
The second way is when you have hardships and God breaks you totally down, whether it's the people around you or whether it's your life that's up in flames and then you come to Christ. And the third one is that you're potentially deathbed or maybe you lived a life full of sin and that's where we have, you know, priests and pastors that come to those who don't know Christ and that's God's mercy. That even if you lived a life full of sin and you're given an opportunity to say at the top of what I said in Romans, that whoever believes in his heart and confesses out his mouth is saved, that's an opportunity that you have. But the reason why I bring this up and I'm, I'm talking about this at length is we have to realize that we might not be, we, not, we might not have a chance of that. But the important thing is to know that God and his pursuit is to consistently chase after you. And if there's anything we need to know about our ability to be merciful and to be in walking and the power that God has given us, we need to look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, and I'm going to read it in the NLT. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Or the power boast in their power. Or the powerful boast in their power. Or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. And who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. So even in that moment of weakness, that opportunity of how Christ redeemed the thief to end up acknowledging Christ, even in your last very moments, God is still merciful. God can still demonstrate his power. God is still showing his unfailing love. And he still intends to bring justice and righteousness to all those who cry out and who want them, who wants it. And I think it's important that we realize that, that that's the perfect example. You don't want to be in that moment, but that is the perfect example of how great our God is, the God that you serve, the God that loves you, the God that wants to be there for you. And I think that's important that I should add. I definitely agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. So the last thing I want to leave everybody with is usually most of the time we'll pray out, but I I want to quote one of the scriptures from the movie that I thought was good and I think will help with the message for the week. And that is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45, where it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust.